How y'all doing? It's a little cold out there today, huh? Whew. No, hey, I'm Josh. Um, I'm pastor here uh, at Whiting. Um, I normally love this time of year. I'm a big Christmas person. It's the center of my year. I love the lights. I love the gifts. I love the music. I'm one of those guys that has like a mix on my phone with like eight hours of like Christian of, of Christmas music, like done in weird ways. And I'm that guy in my car singing at the top of my lungs. <laughs> so if you see me at a stoplight, just like belting it out, just pretend you didn't see me. Just drive on by. We don't need to be embarrassed about that. And I'm just belting out Christmas songs in my car. Normally, I'm that guy. But, and I'll just kind of ask you on this here, if you're like me, does this year feel a little different? Yeah? Yeah, let's just be real for a second, right? This year feels different. (laughs) This year feels different. With all the craziness that's been 2020, I, I have found that Christmas is just different. Looking back over the last year, there's been a lot of change, a lot of change. I mean, to some degree, every single one of us have had to adapt in some way to a quickly changing world. On top of the worldwide pandemic and political drama, many of us have had to change jobs, learn to homeschool our children, which, by the way, is incredibly stressful, right? Many of us have faced different types of loss, be it a job, a routine, normalcy, or even a loved one. Friendships have been tested, and frankly, we've just had to face a lot of our own generalized anxiety, am I right? All of this makes this season, at least to me, kind of hit a bit different. All right. So maybe right now you're like me and you're looking forward to this holiday as an escape from the craziness to kind of get back to some like celebration and try, trying to kind of work yourself up. Or maybe you're, you're trying your hardest to make this year exceed every expectation so you have that like perfect Christmas in the midst of a, a crazy year. Or maybe you're simply finding it hard to get excited this year. So I just want to be real and say I get it. I get it. So let's drop the pretense and let's just be real. Let's be real as possible here. This year has been a lot. So let's acknowledge that. Let's call it what it is and let's come to the Father in that because there's a reality there that we have to face that while this year has been a lot, while this year has been crazy and and out of control in some ways, We don't need to rest in that reality. That reality is not what defines us, right? You see, for 2,000 have celebrated this day as a day that brought hope into a world filled with hopelessness, that brought peace into a world full of conflict, that brought joy in the midst of sorrow, that redefined humanity's access to real love Those aren't just nice sentiments. Those aren't just feel-good words. That is a reality that we celebrate in this day. And as a result, for 2,000 years, we have continued to celebrate and rejoice on this day in the midst of various uncertain times, right? And that's despite all the craziness the world has to offer. 
Today marks a very special moment in the history of the people of God. Because today is the day that everything changes forever. You see, the world that Jesus was born into is not unlike today. There was poverty, there was war, there was famines, there was a literal plague. There was a whole bunch of stuff that was just driving people into the ground. And on top of that, the people of God were a conquered people. They were an occupied people. For 600 years, they were denied the ability to rule themselves. At this point in the world that Jesus is coming into, it was the Romans. Before the Romans, it was the Egyptians. Before the Egyptians, it was the Assyrians. Before the Assyrians, it was the Babylonians. For 600 years, this powerful Nation, this, this holy identity of the people of God has been unable to rule themselves. And keep in mind, part of their identity is to be this great nation, to stand above all other nations, to be this kingdom, this holy kingdom that God has created, and yet they're occupied. So they were looking to the future. They were expecting a king. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy cast this vision of a mighty conqueror, a mighty king stepping into Israel and releasing the chains that bound them. They were told to expect a king, a conqueror, someone who would rise to power and destroy their oppressors, a mighty king. We were given exactly that, but not in the way that we expected. Luke 2, verse 8, says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping over their flocks by night. Now, real quick, shepherds, in this day and age, this is the common of the common. They're dirty, they're smelly, they're sweaty, they're always around animals. They are the least honorable, the least celebrated people. All right, they're the common of the common. So it's weird that this story about a king starts with shepherds. But So here are the shepherds living out in the fields nearby. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And he is the Messiah. A word that means Savior, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a mighty warrior? No, a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Verse 13. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory, shalom, contentment to those whom his favor rests. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Because see, they were expecting this great and powerful king. So now, all of a sudden, the sky erupted with heavenly beings telling them that the king has been born. So they're excited. They're a little confused as to why they're going to see a baby in a feeding trough. But they're excited. Verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary lying in a manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning of what had been told to them about this child, the king. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The birth of the great promised 
king, the great warrior that would free Israel, was announced first to shepherds. Not heralds, not generals, not priests or holy men, but shepherds, common shepherds. The new king wasn't a mighty warrior with a spear in one hand and a sword in the other. It's a helpless baby laid in a manger. A, a manger, that's not a Christian word. We, we hear that word all the time on Christmas. We're like, manger, yeah, that's Jesus' bed. No, no, a manger is a feeding trough, all right? A feeding trough, a trough that sheep eat out of. So imagine a trough this big, broken down, rotted wood, filled with straw that sheep have been drooling on for years. Not exactly the picture of cleanliness and glory that you want to lay the king, right? This mighty king's first court wasn't generals and priests and rich leaders. His first royal court were sheep and cows and camels. This was not the mighty conqueror they expected. And his kingdom ended up being very different than what they expected as well. Instead of a warrior, we, we got a peaceful teacher. Instead of a rich and mighty king, we were given a suffering servant. Instead of a mighty conqueror, we got a crucified savior. This was Jesus' upside-down kingdom. This was entirely unexpected. Entirely unexpected. This was not the great and mighty king that they were expecting. However, this ended up being the very thing that the people of God needed. See, this king was a servant. Totally unheard of. But that makes him accessible in a way that no other leader ever has been. You see, God doesn't care about hierarchy. God doesn't care about our power structures, okay? In fact, the stories of God's blessing throughout the Bible are all about flipping the script. They take someone who is mighty and makes him small and take someone and through the blessings of God makes him mighty. That's the story of Scripture because it's not people's power that we're supposed to rely on. It's God's, right? So here is God, the king, the savior, and he comes to a young woman from Nazareth. Nazareth, by the way, is this like, it's often mentioned in, with scorn in scripture. In fact, there's a, a verse in the New Testament where it's like, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth is, is, is just like the lowest of the low cities. So this woman from Nazareth, who, who doesn't herself come from a huge family, she ends up being the mother of the king. This helpless baby placed in a messy feeding trough held court with farm animals whose birth was announced by shepherds. He grew up to be a homeless, wandering teacher. The power to command literal angel armies, as we said on Sunday. Literal angel armies. He could command angels. But he's a homeless, wandering teacher. And instead, his kingdom seems to be built on preaching about peace and love and especially loving your enemies. He could have taken any throne with the snap of his finger, toppled any power structure with a thought, and instead chose to go to the cross 
to be executed as a criminal. It's important to realize that this baby that we worship on Christmas grows up to be the man who goes to the cross on Good Friday and who comes out of the tomb on Easter. He has all the power in the universe. He is God, creator of everything. And he comes to earth in the form of a helpless baby, lives the life of a suffering servant, teaches about peace and loving your enemies, all for the hope that you will understand that you are loved. See, Jesus' mission was to flip the script on this human idea of power, to take away this burden of living our life as if it was based purely on success and failure, as if we were completely ruled by whether or not we win or, lo- or lose on these worldly things. Instead, Jesus comes into the world and flips the script. Instead of coming in as a mighty warrior, he comes out as a baby. He lives a homeless, wandering life and teaches peace. He flips the script Showing you, showing me, showing us. You are loved even more than the most intoxicating thing that any human being can think of, which is power. He had all the power. And he willingly gave it up for you. John 3.16, we we read this on Sunday, but I'm going to read it again to you now. It's the most quoted verse in all of Scripture. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 17, which is equally important, if not more so in my mind, says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. All of this means that our God is an accessible God by design. He asks us to come as we are because he is the savior. He is the one that is taking us from our normal human power structures and into this idea that we are instead defined not by wins and losses, but instead by the fact that we are loved and cherished by a creator more powerful than we can imagine. This act of grace, this act of new identity is completely unearned. We didn't have to do anything for it. It's not because you're good enough. It's not because you're a member of a church or give to an organization. It's simply because God loves you. And in doing so, in, in, in this act of love, in coming to the world as a baby, he's offered us this unimaginable invitation. This unimaginable invitation to join a kingdom. A kingdom built not on these power structures that fall over time, but instead a kingdom built on this servant ideology, a kingdom built on this love ideology. John 1 says, All all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become child of God. Think on that identity. You are a child of God of God. You've been given this unimaginable invitation to be able to call yourself a child of God. What title could possibly be more powerful than a child of the all-powerful, all-knowing God? All of this boils down to this one simple fact 
that regardless of where you are or where you come from or what burdens you're carrying today, you're loved. And you are loved so completely. You are cherished. You are prized. You are God's prized creation. You are so important to the creator of the universe that he willingly came to earth in the most helpless way possible and gave his life as payment for our sins. Regardless of where you are in life, regardless of what you think you have figured out, regardless of what scars you're carrying, what messes that you're currently in, regardless of whether you're good or bad, regardless if you're here because you love Jesus or you're here because grandma made you go to church, doesn't matter. God loves you. God loves you. You are loved. God knows everything about you. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets in the back of your head that you pretend not to have, and he loves you right now, here, today. Because of this little baby in a feeding trough, our past scars no longer define us. Our past mistakes are no longer part of our identity, and we are instead given this unimaginable invitation to become a child of God. 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. When you let that reality set in, when you let that reality set in, that you are a child of God, that the creator of the universe, the baby, the creator of the universe came as a baby, as a helpless child, gave up everything for you. Suddenly the rest of the stress of this world it doesn't hold a candle. Just come at me, bro. I can take it. <laughs> God's got me. Because if you know you are loved by the creator of the universe, suddenly anything seems possible. And that is why, no matter what this world throws at us, we can rejoice today. Yeah, it's nice to connect with family. I love getting presents. I don't know about you guys. I love to sing songs. But celebrating the birth of Jesus is about celebrating not just a time of, a, a, a weird amorphous time of hope and love. It's about celebrating the fact that we have been gifted with a new identity. An identity based on the fact that we are loved so thoroughly, so completely by the only real voice that matters, the creator of the universe. Not because we followed the rules or said the right things or were born into the right culture, but simply because as a creation of the king of the universe, you have immeasurable value right now. Christmas is that celebration. It's rejoicing over the fact that the expected king came in a very unexpected way, who ended up being an unexpected savior and who has extended an unimaginable invitation to be renewed and to embrace our given identity as a cherished child of God. That's a reason to celebrate. Let's pray. Dear Father God, you are so big You are so powerful. You are so mighty. You are so beyond my comprehension. You could snap your fingers 
and have the world bow to you in an instant. But you didn't do that. You came and experienced my helplessness. You came into this world and you experienced my losses, my limitations. You came into this world as a baby, as a helpless child. You gave up all of that power. Also, you could be executed in my place. I am beyond words to even begin to share how thankful I am. I, I don't even know if thankful is the right word. Because of you, I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm in that I am valuable. God, thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.